Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, I want to just give you a little bit of background. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, when I was younger, I was super cool. And growing up, when you're super cool, you can't have secret passions for movies like the Titanic. But I did. Let me show you a picture of Jack and Rose. Come on. If you're at Found Church, you know that the Titanic is a special movie. Now, it's not very cool to love the Titanic when you're cool, right? But there was something about this movie when I first saw it that kind of intrigued me, and I think I even shed a tear uh, towards uh, the latter end of it. Uh, I didn't tell anybody about that for years because, you know, I got a reputation to uphold. But, but there was something that I saw in this movie that intrigued me. I saw a, a closeness in a, rela- in a relationship that fascinated me. I, I, I had wondered, like, man, could a, a relationship really be awesome? Could a relationship really be close? Could it really be healthy? I don't think, I don't know if their marriage relationship was healthy, but I was asking these questions, and, and this, this whole idea of love and, and, and being close in relationship, it started to light something and ignite something in my heart that I really didn't know what was happening. Now, as I watched the movie, the story's unfolding of two people falling in love. And I love the sense of adventure that kind of came with it and, and all of the obstacles that no matter who was opposing them or what was coming against them, nothing was going to keep Jack and Rose from being close. Like nothing was going to keep them. And so, so th- this idea of closeness really, really fascinated me. But for the most part of my life, this was simply a movie. It was a concept. Like, it seemed like love like that was so far in the distance. Anybody ever felt like that? Come on, singles, help me out. (laughs) But it just seemed like it was so far away. It didn't seem like a love like that would be possible, let alone would I get to experience that. And so for the longest time, it was just a pipe dream until I met my beautiful wife. And uh, you got to get this in, in your mind. She was walking into the church, and I was sitting in the back row, and I believe in miracles. And so I figured she was passing by, that she was a sign and a wonder from God. And I just was like, Lord, like that is the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. Now, it took her about a year for God to reveal to her that I was also a sign and wonder. <laughs> it took a little bit of time for her to catch on that, yes, like... I'm the guy. But all of a sudden, a dream was coming to reality. We started to build a friendship. And, and then we had moments on the phone where it's like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. Hours and hours, like, talking about nothing. We just wanted to be close. Just wanted to be close. Fast forward to our wedding day. Now, our wedding day... It's cool if a guy cries during the wedding, but it's not cool if he cries before the wedding. And I was, I was a hot mess that day. And I, I couldn't, everybody was like, are you okay? Do you want to do this? You want to run? Like, we've never heard of the runaway groom, but maybe there's a first for everything. 
But I just couldn't, I couldn't believe this was happening. It felt too good to be true. And so I was, I was just crying. I was so grateful. I was so amazed. And, and I remember feeling like something's got to go wrong. Like the moment she's about to say I do, like a light's going to, or a chandelier's going to fall from the ceiling. And like right on my head, right? Or the pastor's going to have like a loose moment and punch me in the face. Like something's going to go wrong. And uh, she goes like, does pastors do that? Um, and, and here we are, I'm staring at my beautiful bride, and, it, it, and it's, it's reality. And we're getting ready to experience a closeness like we never felt before. Fast forward a little bit more. How many of you guys are thankful for honeymoons? Are you married couples? So we were deciding, you know, what are we going to do on our honeymoon? So I suggested we need to go on a cruise. Come on, second service. Are you catching the theme? So when we got on the ship, I looked at Jackie and I said, you know what we have to do, right? She said, no. I said, oh, yeah. She said, no. I said, oh, yeah. We're going to the front of the ship. And we're going to spread out our arms like Jack and Rose. And I know too much to call myself the king of the world. So I just figured we'll just call him the king of the world. And we just said he's the king of the world, right? Amazing. Amazing moment in my life. Something that seemed so far-fetched, something that seemed like it would never become a reality, all of a sudden was very close, very real, and was happening. And I learned something in my short years. We'll be married 12 years this year. And I learned so, yeah, that's, that's exciting, right? We define the odds. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that we want to be close to the things that we care about. You see, for many of you, Easter is, is kind of that story. God just seems so far-fetched. I mean, you love the idea of like a re resurrected Savior, one who came and died for all of your wrongdoings. I mean, you love that concept. But for some of you, if you're honest, it feels like that's such a distant reality. It just doesn't feel like... He's close. Doesn't feel like it's even a possibility. And I could speak from a lot of different subjects today to try to persuade you in regards to the resurrection, but I, today I want to talk to the motive behind the resurrection. You see, the motive behind the resurrection is simply that God wants to be close. John chapter 3, verse 16, it's a very uh, obscure passage, you may have never heard of it. Um, but it says, for God so loved the world. Come on, you guys got to roll with me. You guys catching that? I know it's early, but let's go. For God so loved the world so much, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, eternal life, it's kind of mysterious. I think a lot of times when we think about eternal life, we think about quantity of life later. We think about a reward later and quantity of life. But Jesus kind of uncovers this mystery for us in John chapter 17, verse 3. Look what Jesus says. He says, now this is eternal life. Jesus tells us, what does it mean to have eternal life? Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you. Now, this word know is an intimate know. It's not a know simply here, but it's a know here. It's the same know that God used to describe Adam and Eve's relationship, that Adam knew his wife intimately. It's a closeness. 
And he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Almost as if Jesus were to say this, that eternal life isn't simply a reward with quantity of life later. But it's as if Jesus is saying, no, it's a relationship that produces a quality of life now. That, that eternal life isn't simply quantity of life later, it's quality of life now. It's not simply a reward, it's a relationship. For God so loved us that he stepped into to bodily form, he stepped into time for the purpose that we could be close, that we could know him intimately and experience eternal life. Now, that's awesome. But let's talk about this reality. Because the idea of the creator being close just seems kind of far-fetched at times, doesn't it? I mean, he's huge. You don't believe me? Let me take you to the stars. We're going to look at the Hubble Deep Field Ultra. So if the Hubble isn't enough, let's go Deep Field Ultra. I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> it's big. So what you're looking at here is not a collection of stars or a cluster of stars, but rather galaxies. You're looking at really a series of 10,000 galaxies in this image. Now, these 10,000 galaxies, this is the shot that the Hubble telescope, Deep Field Ultra, captured from about 240 miles from the Earth in orbit. That's pretty big. These galaxies are the size of our Milky Way and larger. In Psalm 33, in Psalm 33, um, the psalmist tells us that God spoke the universe into being with the very words of his mouth, and that with his very breath, he created the stars. I mean, really grasp that concept for a moment. But this is how big God is. If I were to, to take a straw, you know, like a drinking straw, eight foot long, point it into the sky and look through that small circumference of a circle, that one little dot that I would see in the universe is equivalent to what you see here, 10,000 galaxies. Just a smidge of the, of the universe. Huge. Now, for some, you're thinking, that's exactly my problem. I mean, how could a big, massive God like that really be connected to my everyday life? I mean, how could God really be interested in me, in my issues, in my concerns, in my cares? It's a valid question. In fact, maybe you're here today and you don't even believe in God. And even if you could try to fathom God existing, He's nothing more than maybe a concept lost in the cosmos somewhere, floating around in oblivion, completely removed from what's really happening here in our life. Maybe you see God through a religious lens, and you see kind of his vastness, his majesty through a religious lens, and you've been on a proverbial treadmill trying to earn your way to him, trying to make your way up to the top, trying to fight your way through, and you're really exhausted because you're not very good at it. And you feel like, man, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to live a good life, but oh, I got a lot of issues. So I'm going to compare myself to this person because they got more issues. 
But in comparison to God's standard, we just fall short every time. Now, maybe you look through God through a religious lens and you're killing it. Like you're type A. Got that command, got that done, I'll throw in an extra command. I'm good at this. But you still couldn't feel more further away from God. Like, like maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you follow Jesus, but because of a, a, a series of events or some circumstances, like you know what I'm saying right now is true. You know that God wants to be close to you. You know that God is not so far removed from your life that he doesn't care, but it feels like it. Because where you're at right now, he just feels so far away. Now, lastly, maybe you're here and you're like, man, life is pretty good. I got dragged here by somebody. I'm going to, you know, get through this service and go to lunch and I enjoy my Easter service. And you're like, I'm really not, you know, biased either way. I'm just kind of living my life and doing my thing. But you know when you turn on the news that you've had those thoughts at times. Like, man, God, if you were really close like, if you were really God, it sure doesn't seem like you're real, and it sure seems, as I look at the news, that you're pretty far away. You see, if it's true that we want to be close to the things that we care about, and we don't feel that God is close, then if you're taking notes, it leads us to the natural question of, does God even care? Does God even care? And that's the beauty of Easter. And I believe Easter, the narrative of Easter, answers this question because the, the, the beauty of Easter isn't simply the majesty and the vastness and the hugeness of, of God and who he is. But rather, it's how small this vast, huge, and majestic God became just to be close to you and I. I mean, it doesn't get any smaller than an infant child. It doesn't get any more vulnerable than a baby. Are you tracking with that? And here the Son of God empties himself of all of his majesty, becomes small, taking on the form of a servant for the purpose of you and I knowing him, for the purpose of you and I being close you see, Easter's not as far away as you think. And that's the title of my message today. Easter is not as far away as you think. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says that we don't uh, have a high priest, or I'm sorry, that the high priest of ours understands our weakness. Like he's not so far in the cosmos that he doesn't understand what you and I go through every single day. For he faced all the same testings we did, yet we do, yet he did not sin. Meaning he just didn't step into bodily form, but he went through and experienced and felt all of the things, all of the struggles, everything that you and I have been through or will be through. See, I would propose to you that Easter is not as far away as you think. I would propose to you that God is not as far removed from your everyday life as it feels. And I believe that the last three days of the Easter narrative really illustrate this in a way that I think is going to encourage all of us and paint a great picture. Because the truth of the matter is, the first of the three days we're going to look at is, is Friday. It's Friday. Now, Friday was a day of pain. 
I mean, really think about this. Jesus could have come anytime, but he picks the worst time when it comes to capital punishment. The worst time under the Roman rule. I mean, it was just brutal. Suffers the most horrible death. It was a day of pain. They nailed him to the cross. They, but before he even got to the cross, he had been beaten so badly that you couldn't even recognize him as a man, the Bible said. You would just look at him like, whoa. And so maybe today you're here in physical, and you have some physical pain in your body. Listen, I've been sick for the last, since Monday. And I'm a big crybaby, so just don't judge me, okay? But even just being sick for the last several days, it can still kind of wear on your soul. I can only imagine those who have had to, those of you who have, to, have, uh, have had to struggle chronically and go through every single day wondering, like, God, do you, uh, do you see how much pain I'm in? Like, can you really fathom? Well, yeah, he understands physical pain. He knows where you're at. But not just physical pain, he also endured emotional pain. Now, could you imagine, you're cre- like, you created people and they're hanging you on a cross. They're hurling insults at you. When all you ever wanted was to be close to them and then to you. When, when, I mean, get, get this picture in your mind. Jesus is um, getting ready to go to the cross. They're about to take him captive. And he's in this garden. And he feels the weight of the cross. He feels the weight of the sin of the world pressing on him as he's going to carry that for you and for I. And the Bible says that his sweat was so intense that it became like drops of blood. Let me just tell you, he knows how it is to have a stressful day. He gets it. He's not as far away as you think. What about relationally? I mean, imagine this. The worst day of pain for you and all of your besties that's AKA best friends, leave you. Like they desert you. Like all the guys you've been pouring into, investing in, loving, serving, they all leave. How many of you guys know Jesus knew how it felt to be single? He did. So for those of you guys who are single, trying to say, well, I just don't know if he understands relationally what I'm going through. He does. Some of you guys are like, yeah, but he doesn't know how, to, how it is to be married. How do you deal with that, Jesus? I heard one pastor say it like this. He does know how to be married. He calls us, the church, his bride. And so when we're going out on him, he also knows how it feels to be cheated on. And lastly is he understands the burden of sin. Some of you walked in today and you're just feeling the weight of sin. Like you've made some horrible decisions making horrible decisions and you just feel that gravity of like and your soul is in so much pain and so even though Jesus never sinned he came to bear the punishment of yours so in other words he was treated as if he was committing those crimes for every human being on the planet past present and future that's a lot of weight so if you're feeling the weight of your mistakes he's not as far away as you think you know, I, I, I experienced this in, a, in a, the closeness of God in one of the darkest times of my life. If you've been at our church for any amount of time, you would know that I went through a dark season of about three years where I had just a lot of anxiety and depression. 
Now, you're not supposed to be like have anxiety when you're cool. You're supposed to be like in control. And so I was so scared because I didn't know what was happening in my mind. And it was really intense, really bad. I mean, there'd be occasions where I would get sick because I had so much anxiety. There, I, I got fired from one of my jobs because I just couldn't function right. So one day I was like, hey, mom, I think you need to check me in um, because I'm not all there. Now, some of you guys say, you're still not all there, but let's not, don't judge me, all right? Don't judge me. Let's move on. But I remember in that, I remember in that season, it, it was so dark, and I, like, looked everywhere for answers. Like, if you're struggling, don't Google. Just a little FYI, don't Google. It'll stress you out more. But I went, I looked for so many answers, and, and nobody could help me. You know, they say that there's no such thing as an atheist on a, on a crashing plane, like, if a plane is falling out of the sky, everybody's giving it a shot, right? Like, God, if you're there, remember me. Isn't that what he said, right? I mean, he's just, there's no atheist on a, on a, on a falling plane. And, and really, I felt like my soul, like, I felt like I was falling. I was, felt like I was spiraling, spiraling out of control. And, and, but I began to move towards him. And the intimacy with God that came from the darkest time of my life, I would never trade for anything in the world. Because I learned a very, very important aspect of what the Lord can do with some of our deepest pain. And it's a famous passage. You probably heard it. You might have it on a coffee mug or on your fridge. But I'm going to tell you again. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I understood that now God, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, there's a promise here to those who are close to him. There's a promise here to those who are in an intimate relationship with God that no matter how difficult your pain is, he has the ability to flip it. And so listen, if you're in the Fridays right now, if you're in a Friday moment, I want you to, to jot this down. It's a very important truth I need you to catch is that there is no pain too deep that his love cannot reach and flip it, heal it. And bring some purpose to your pain. Now, now fr Fridays, hey, we've all experienced a Friday. If you haven't, it's coming. Fridays are coming, right? Fridays, it's, just, it's a reality of life. But, but, but not only Fridays, we also have Saturdays. Now, Saturday is what I like to call the day of doubt. Like, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Jesus, he's crucified. He's buried in a tomb. And on Saturday, heaven is silent. And for the first time in three years, that's how long the disciples have been following Jesus, they wake up, his disciples, with number one, if you're taking notes, no direction. Like, imagine this. We've been following this guy every single day for three years. Like, we know what we're doing every single day. And now in a moment's time, everything has changed. You guys ever have a moment where you got all your T's crossed, you got all your I's dotted, you got all your plans made, you know how it's going to play out, how it's going to roll out, how it's going to shape out, and all of a sudden in a moment's time, it's all gone. And you find yourself in a place that at one point you thought this was it, and now you have no direction. Saturdays can be tough because when you have no direction, all, this, all of a sudden you find yourself, number two, is, is having more, uh, uh, you have more, what, are, what, what do you have? More questions than answers. You have a lot more questions than answers. 
I mean, so you could imagine the disciples, they're thinking, we gave our life up to follow you. Really? Let's just imagine that for a moment. We gave up everything to follow you. And this is what happens? How is this, gonna, how's this supposed to play out? What are we supposed to do? And a lot of times when you have more questions than answers, the third and final progression, you start to get discouraged. You see, one of the things that we have to understand is we're reading the Easter narrative on the other side of the resurrection. For the disciples, they weren't anticipating a resurrection. Like they were like, all right, guys, it's okay. It's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. They weren't, they, they watched the one that they called the Lord, the Son of God, brutally murdered. So much so that even if they had a slightest inkling that he was going to rise, not after the cross. It's like there's no way he's coming back from that. No way. And so that moment that Jesus died, so did all of their hopes, so did all of their dreams, so did all of their their aspirations. Their hope of a future died that day. And they were discouraged. So you can imagine three and a half years for what? All of a sudden, that whole season with Jesus just took on this sense of meaning. It's just meaningless. What was significant about that if this is it? Like we know when we see death, we intrinsically know on the inside, this can't be it. Something's wrong with this. But for them, that's, that's where they were, trying to sort through the meaning of all of this. Now, I, I love what Jesus said. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, 4. Jesus answered, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Do you catch it? I am the direction. I am the answer to your questions, and I, am, I bring significance to life. So what Jesus is saying here, notice how he doesn't say, I am pointing you to a way, or there are many ways that can get you where you need to go. No, he said, I am the way. I'm not a, it's, there's not a philosophy or an ideology or something that's going to take you where you need to go. And notice how he says, I am the truth, meaning you may not have all your questions answered, but I am the ultimate answer for all eternity. I am the truth. And then he says, I am the life, meaning it's only me, only I can bring true significance when it comes to life. Now, this last week, Sunday, I was after church and a, a good friend of mine, she came up to me and she's just weeping. She said, Pastor Matt, my, my, my friend has, has got cancer for I think like the third time. And it's pretty aggressive, and she's just weeping. And so she said, would you consider, you know, coming to pray for her? You know, this week she has some big testings that are going to be done. And so I said, yeah, man, absolutely. And, and so right there, we just started to cry out to God on behalf of this woman. We say amen, and we go about our day. And that particular Sunday last week, Jackie and her mom had kind of a mommy-daughter day. They went shopping, out to eat, and all that good stuff. And so I had the girls so just so you know, like, I used to be super cool, now I'm super dad, all right? Um, so I got the girls, and I, I tell my mom, I said, hey, mom, let, let's go out to eat. And one of our favorite spots to go is Tippanyaki. Like, we love Tippanyaki, where they cook in front of you, Japanese food. It's incredible. Well, 
We show up to the restaurant and we end up waiting 30 minutes because we thought some others were going to join us, but it turns out they weren't. And so all these people went in front of us and, uh, and we, were, we, we had to wait. And so, you know, I don't like waiting in the restaurant. It's like, come on, like, let's go, let's go. So finally we get seated. And the family is also seated with us because tippanyaki is like a community deal, right? Um, you meet people that you never know. You sit at the same table. And so we're sitting there, and uh, I look at this family, and I'm tired. Like we had a, you know, Sunday we did two services. We had growth track. We did practice for uh, worship for, for Easter. So I was just like, do I really want to engage with people right now? Like sometimes I just don't want to be a pastor. I just want to like, I just want to eat some food, right? But the Holy Spirit says, yep, you're going to engage, and so I see that they have some baseball um, paraphernalia on from, from Amador, and Amador High School here. And I said, hey, do you guys happen to know this family? And they said, yeah, we know them very well. And I said, well, my wife and I, we pastor the Fountain Church in Pleasanton. And the woman's face dropped. She said, yeah, that family that... I'd asked if they knew. She said that she's been telling me about you for some time, and she wanted to see if you could come over and pray for me. I'm the woman with cancer. So we look at each other. I lose my appetite. I'm not, and I love teppanyaki. And I'm just like, okay, Lord, this is, you couldn't, you can't plan this stuff. And so I'm like, all right, God, you're doing something in this moment. Like, what do you want me to do? So we, we got up and we prayed, right? We prayed for this family right, you know, in the middle of Tippanyaki. So there was a tons of fires going on. Fires going over here. Holy Ghost fire going over here. It was awesome. But we didn't leave that moment with all the answers to our questions. But we left with a deep sense of God's presence. That God was reminding this woman, I haven't forgotten you. I see you're in a Friday. I get it. And I see you might be wrestling in a Saturday. And, and from this moment, this is what we have to understand. We didn't have all the questions to our answers, but we had a deep abiding sense of his presence. Because in Saturday, on Saturdays, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down that his presence brings significance to our Saturdays. The things that we just think, they're, they're meaningless. I just, what? I just don't know what to do. When his presence shows up, it brings significance to our Saturdays. Now, the only reason why we can experience his love on a Friday and that we can experience his presence on a Saturday, presence on a Saturday is because there's, sun, there's a third day, and that's Sunday. And so what we call Sunday around here, that's Resurrection Day. Are you guys tracking with me? Now, this is the day where dead things come back to life. This is the day where old things pass away and behold, all things become brand new. This is the day that everything changes because if this day is legit, if it's real, then it's all real. Like, like so many people are wrestling trying to figure out, man, is the Bible valid? Is the Bible, if, if you do your homework, there's tons of evidence more than any other historical document that you will be able to find. However, Christianity hinges on this, the resurrection, because if the resurrection is true, then it's all true. It's so funny, this, this guy, Peter, who traveled with Jesus, he, um, 
He was struggling through Friday. There came a point where Peter was so afraid of death, he denied Jesus. On Saturday, Peter was so discouraged, he said, you know what? I'm not doing this whole, like, fishing for men anymore, or trying to reach people. Like, I'm going back fishing. Like, I'm going back to what I used to do. What Peter was saying is, it's done. There's nothing significant. It's over. And so on that Sunday, Peter goes, and guess what? He catches nothing. Poor guy. It's like, my whole world's crushed, and I don't catch any fish. Like, that's a bad day. And Jesus shows up, and he appears to Peter. They have this conversation, and by the, the end of the conversation, Jesus says to Peter this. He says, hey, Pete, when you were younger, you used to do whatever you wanted to do. You used to go as you pleased. But when you're older, you're not going to be able to do that anymore because they're going to take you where you do not want to go. And they're going to dress you. And what Jesus was saying, Jesus was speaking of the death that Peter would die that would glorify God as a cost of following Jesus. Now, this is Peter. Peter was discouraged, freaked out. He didn't want to die. But all of a sudden, that changes completely because Peter's staring at the risen Savior. Now, track with me. Peter knows in this moment that it doesn't matter anymore. If I die, I'm coming back. Like you're here, the cross, that was brutal, and you're back? Peter said, I'm in. Sign me up. And it was said later that Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. This courage and this boldness came from the reality of the resurrection because what happens when we get a reality of the resurrection is, let me tell you what happens, is that our life, our life, all of a sudden has, gets a security that we've never known. The resurrection, resurrection Sunday gives us security. Now, now, let me paint this picture for you. If the resurrection is true, then it's all true. But some of you right now are saying, well, I don't buy it. Let me do a little thought game with you for a moment, if you would. What if you, like Peter, encountered the risen Savior? Jesus said, I'm here, Pete, or I'm here, whatever your name is. I'm alive, it's me in the flesh. And he looked at you and he says, but check this out, I'm not gonna answer any of your questions until eternity. Do you think you could put your questions off for 50 years? Do you think it would even be a concern for you of those unanswered questions in light of the risen Savior? Do you think in that moment, as you're staring at the reality of the risen Savior, that your questions would be a deal breaker? You say, well, that's the problem. I've never seen him. That's the problem, Pastor Matt. I probably never will. But do you know that there is enough evidence of the resurrection outside of the scriptures that gives you a solid ground to take and to make 
a solid decision. See, the breakdown has never been the evidence. The breakdown has always been a pre-prejudice. That because of our questions, how could God do this? Or why would he do that? Or if he was good, why would this happen? It keeps us from weighing the evidence by itself. Are you tracking with that? That's why Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. True life is only connected to the resurrection. Like, like true, you, you will only be able to experience love on Fridays if you're connected to the resurrection. Listen, you will only be able to experience significance on Saturdays in light of the resurrection. You will only be able to find ultimate security You will never find this apart from the resurrection. And this is what's so amazing. Isn't this what we all want in life? I mean, these three things transcend gender. They transcend generations. They transcend culture. Everybody wants and is searching for love, significance, and security, aren't they? And so here's the deal. Jesus said true life, true life, love, significance, security, true life. The things that we long for, this quality of life that Jesus is talking about has to be and is always connected to the resurrection. And so apart from the resurrection, you are searching right now for this. And no matter what you find, it's never enough. Apart from the resurrection, you are longing. You may be at the top of your game. Can I just tell you this? You don't need to be at the bottom to have a Saturday. You could be at the pinnacle of success and feel like I have no direction. I have so many questions and life just doesn't seem significant. And so apart from the resurrection, significance, you'll never, you'll be searching and ultimately, like we're, we're longing for this in a very unstable world as we look out. And Jesus is simply saying, apart from me, you're just never going to find it. Life is always connected to the resurrection. So what do, what do we do? Well, Jesus helps us out here. Let's go back to that text for me, Steph. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? We're going to pray in just a moment, but I want to ask you one question. Or, yeah, it's a question. And the question is this. Maybe today Jesus isn't trying to convert you nearly as much as he's trying to invite you to experience a life where you can have love, a love that can reach into your pain, a significance when nothing makes sense, and a security that will last for all eternity. Jesus isn't pointing you to simply a reward or a quantity of days in the future. He's simply inviting you close into an intimate relationship 